Welcome to our TV. This is Saratova Best. We are talking, we're in the days of Tammuz, and we're before the 17th of Tammuz, which is classically known as a very difficult day. In fact, in a way, the most difficult day of the whole year. I'll say in a minute why. And what we're going to focus on is the interplay of negative and positive. It's something that's on everybody's mind. And today, when you look at the world, you wonder, um, what's what is it, is it good? Is it bad? What's going on? I just remember as a child, um, you know, this expression, is it good for the Yidden or is it not good for the Yidden? That was kind of, <laughs> that you know, that was a pivotal question when you would hear about something in the world. Essentially, is it good for us or is it not good for us? And And there's always a question, is this good for us or is it not? On the deeper level, what we're being told in Tyra is, that there is nothing that isn't good for us. It's all good for us. Just some of it is revealed good and some of it is concealed good. And as it says in Tanya, that there are two, there are two uh, chambers in he- heavenly chambers above, so to speak. One is the chamber of revealed good and that stuff feels good. And the other one is the chamber of hidden good and that stuff feels bad. So when I'm down here in this world and some, God forbid, hidden good happens, which means it feels bad, and I say with a full heart, which takes some work, but I really bring myself to a point of, even even if I say, even saying actually also does something, but experiencing is even better. If I say, this too is good, then what happens is the question is what is the mechanism to change it? What happens is it becomes it becomes good. Now how is it possible? Just because I say, Oh, this too is good, this is not a game. How does it become good just because I said this too is good? And as it explains in Tanya, because here I am down here in this world. And those those two chambers are above, hidden good and revealed good. So I I say it is, it is good. I'm looking at something that is not good. I just, let's take a silly example. Um, someone just took my, my parking spot. I was waiting for half an hour, and then I looked down for a minute at, at my phone, and before I knew it, somebody pulled into my parking spot. It's not a horrible thing. We don't like to pick horrible examples because we don't want to justify negativity. But somebody just took my parking spot. So what am I... What should I do then? Say, well, that felt bad. You know, I'm upset. I'm angry. I'm disappointed. I'm uh, a whole bunch of things. Now, what, where will I go? What will I do? I have an appointment in five minutes. I was counting on this, etc. There's a lot. That, there's a lot in there. What do I do? So, what should I do? I should say, Kamzulatayva. This too is good. What What does that do? This is not a game. So but what it really does is it takes something that's hidden good, which feels bad, and and I say this is good. So it's, my words go up to their source, up above, in the heavenly realm, and they go straight to the chamber of, I said it's good, so it goes to the chamber of good. I said it's good, so it goes up to the chamber of good. Uh, sorry, no, sorry, excuse me, I got it wrong. Something is not good. But I say that it's good. So it goes up to that chamber of hidden good, where things are really bad. But it gets sweetened up there, because I called it good. I kind of confused them. It wasn't good. It was hidden good, but I called it good. 
So when it goes up to its source, it, I guess there's probably a debate up there. Hmm. She doesn't feel good. She said it's good. Where should we, which room should we go to up in the divine realms? Uh, where, where does this statement belong? What do we do? Where does this statement belong? So it goes up to the chamber of hidden good because it's kind of hidden good. But it gets sweetened because I call it, call, called it good. I confused everybody. I called it good. So it gets sweetened in the source and then it moves over to the chamber of revealed good. Because I kind of threw everybody off over there in the divine realm by calling it good when it wasn't good. So there it gets sweetened in its source, moves over to the chamber. It's like, Mazel Tov to you. You just graduated. You get to go to the chamber of revealed good. I know this is a lousy circumstance, but we, we, we bump you up. You got an upgrade because she called it good. So you're going over to the chamber of good. And then this circumstance, like I lost my parking spot, is now in the chamber of good. Now it's going to rain down into my life. And now it's actually going to give, become actually revealed good, which would come out as one of hundreds of things. Uh, the person right behind me pulls out and I pull into that spot or something like that or, or. There are many, many unpredictable possibilities. So what we're dealing with in these days and this month, it's the month of Tammuz. And it's classically known as the month of Gullus, Chaydish Gullus, because it begins with three weeks. And the three weeks end with destruction of the base of Migdash. And the destruction of the base of Migdash begins the Gullus. Well, there we go. It's just very linear. What starts the Gullus is essentially the worst. You could say that the 17th of Thomas, beginning the three weeks to start the Gullus, in a way, are worse. That day, the 17th of Thomas, is in a way worse than Tishabah itself. Because the beginning of this whole destruction, which causes a couple of thousand years of Gullus, wouldn't that be the worst? It's the start. Everything's included in the beginning. So the 17th of Thomas is a pretty tough day. Any problem we have, including my ridiculous problem of having lost the parking spot, comes from that, comes from Tishabas, which really comes from the 17th of Thomas, which makes the flavor of the month of Thomas pretty, pretty awful. Pretty gullistic. What do we call it? Kaidish or Gullus. Safresh Pezai in 1927 comes along a Gula. A world geula, as expressed through the geula of the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, who says, I'm not the only one who is redeemed today. It's everyone. Every single year. Those who, those who hold, those who hold Tyra and Mitzvah as precious and dear, and those who don't. Those who are simply on the level of they simply have the name Yid. They too have redemption today. Of course, everybody knows the story was. It's all about the Rebbe being taken into captivity in Soviet Russia for the crime of teaching Torah and encouraging everybody else to teach Torah. Of which 
and we all know that he called together nine hand-picked chassidim and said, we will form a minion, we will continue to spread Yiddishkeit until the last drop of blood, and this is what we'll do. And it was known that it, didn't, it wasn't a guarantee that they would live forever. And they would just continue and do what they did. And if, God forbid, they ha- they left the world shot by a firing squad or something like that, they had to be prepared for that. Had to be prepared to be caught. They would be replaced by the next Leah who would do it. That was the nefarious nefesh that was, that was demanded. That kind of truth, that kind of eternal dedication to, to eternal truth was way too much for the communist regime, who really represented the ultimate of lies, the world of lies. If we were to represent the world of lies, we wouldn't want somebody representing truth hanging out in our country too much either. It's, it's going to undermine everything we're doing if we're trying to <clears throat> propagate the ultimate lie, God forbid. So, but within all of this, we know, we know that the Rebbe had a redemption on Yud Beis Yud Gimel Tammuz, and he said, but it's not my redemption, it's everybody's redemption. What, you think that if there's a redemption in the, uh, of Tyra, that you have this whole regime that's trying to stop forever the learning of Tyra, and even more, the whole regime is dedicated to not just eradicating Torah learning, but eradicating Hashem himself once and for all, God forbid. If that's their dedication, then the moment that the that the Geula happens and there's a victory over that, this is not a victory just for the person who was let out of jail or let out of captivity. This is a victory for all Yidden. This is a victory, actually, when it says those who cherish mitzvahs, this is a victory for the nations of the world who do their seven mitzvahs. This is even a victory for the, for the communist regime itself that in its deepest essence really was sent to bring out a greater truth. They just didn't know it at the time. It took them probably 70 years. It took them from 1927, Tafresh Pezai, into Tafshin in 1990 for them to recognize that they really want to do the math, so we're talking about 60, 60 plus years. But by already by 1987, things started to change. So you're talking about some 60 years. You know what does it say? At 60, you reach the age of being a sage of a certain wisdom. Okay. So after 60 years of the communist regime after that are really, I mean, you're talking about 1917. Okay, 70 years. 70 years of the communist regime, and it couldn't anymore. You reach 70, and it's a whole other thing. So the communist regime had to finally stop standing for falsehood and stand up for truth. And with it, the whole transformation of the world. And that all comes through the month of Tammuz, which is all about the transformation of the month of Tammuz is, is 
going through in time, expressing in time, in time, a transformation that was expressed in space in communist Russia. <coughs> so, looking at the Sikha in Gimel, Sikha is saying from the following. From this it's understood that the whole month, the whole, I, uh, the whole content, what is the month of Tammuz all about? That's classical month of Tammuz. What do you mean? Tammuz? We fast. That's what, you know, just go to a regular person on the street who knows a little Tyra a hundred years ago. A hundred years ago, right. We weren't in, years ago, 2020, right. A hundred years ago, we were seven years before this re- redemption. Perfect. So a hundred years ago, just turn back the time tunnel and you go and you speak to somebody on the street. They say, the month of Thomas is on us. So what are you, what, what are you going to tell me? They say, oh, bad month. It's the month of the fasting. And why do we fast? We fast because we were bad. And then somebody else says, no, we fast because we're good. Okay. Well, it's a dual reality. This fast day, this month that, that is, is, uh, gets its identity from the fast, it has a dual identity which is so classical, so classically Jewish, because we always say the basis of the center core of Yiddishkeit is the Kaidish Kedoshim. And in the Kaidish Kedoshim, there's a dual reality going on. There's space, but there's not space. The iron takes up space, but it doesn't take up space. There's, there's limitation and there's above limitation. Good morning. If you're Jewish... <laughs> we all know about living in two realities at the same time. This is just basic life for us. We become the teachers of how to live in a dual reality and get through it successfully. Dot com. <laughs> That's us, as embodied by the month of Thomas, as embodied by the Kaidish Kedoshim. So what is that about this fast of the month of Thomas externally? It's a negative thing. Externally, the fast of Tammuz, it's for punishment. We weren't good. We sinned. We did what we did. We didn't... Uh, we, all the things, because of our sins, we were sent out of our land. Bad stuff. We were bad. We get punished. You know, basic stuff. That's only one reality. On the eternal reality, penis, the penis of a fast day as it will be in the future. In the future, the Nigla the glory of Hashem, will be revealed. And the fast day will become a day of Satan the Simcha, and Mayatai, a day of joy. The very same fast day. And that's, of course, basic in Judaism. We're no longer in a time in which we run away from things, or even say, let it go. It's not so important. Let it go. We have been given the power to transform. We embrace everything but transform. Some we embrace because they're already cooked. You know, oh, I bought that ready-to-eat eggplant parmesan. That's one way. And then there's another way, which is I have to buy all the ingredients and make it myself. Two ways. You know, hey, would you like me to take you out for that? <laughs> Imagine one friend says to the other, hey, would you like me to 
take you out for eggplant parmesan. Yeah, thanks. Yes, on me. Great. Wow, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm going to pay for it. Thank you so much. That's that's really, I really need a break. Okay, meet me at this, in this corner. So you meet your friend at the corner, and they say, come, we're going to go get it. Okay, so they start to walk, and they take you into the supermarket. And they start to collect things and put them in the shopping cart. What I thought we were going out for eggplant parmesan. No, I said, would you like me to treat you for eggplant parmesan? It's on me. I just meant I will pay for all the ingredients. You have to cook it. You have to, you have to create the whole thing. Now let's go to your house and just spend three hours making it. <laughs> so, so the penis of a, of a fast day is in the future, it will be a joyous thing. It won't be with all of that work so it goes along. That means there will be the recognition that there's more to life than punishment. How do we know there's such a thing as punishment besides in our personal lives? If you're Jewish, you know about punishment. Why? From school? No. From the calendar. The four fast days and then the two there's six fast days, I think. Maybe more than six fast days. Lost count. Fast days are about punishment, right? Used to be. Oh, so what are they now? Well, don't ask what they are now. What will they be? They will be days of joy. Oh. Oh, boy. So that means if you're Jewish... It's always a dual reality. Good luck. If you're Jewish, it's always a dual reality. It's always good and bad at the same time. Which is probably why we fetch so much. You know, Mazel Tov, I heard that, you know, you won the lottery. I know. What am I going to do now? I, I have to figure out which bank to put it in. I know how to So that's us. There's no good without bad, and there's no bad without good. Well, whose fault is that? You mean Adam Arishan, Chava, Adam and Chava. When they ate from the Eitzadat, the tree of knowledge, they created that there's no good without bad and there's no bad without good. Until a Shiach times. And then everything is transformed to lighter good and more intense good. Clearly, the lighter good will be the stuff that's good now. The deeply intense good will be the stuff that doesn't feel so easy right now. All of this is packed into a fast day, and even more so, the 17th of Thomas. Of all fast days, this is the one that exemplifies this dual reality. Oh, the 17th of Thomas must be Jewish because <laughs> we live in two worlds, so it must live in two worlds. It is the one that starts the Gullus. More than all, more than Yom Kippur, even Tisha, if you look into each one, the one that starts the Gullus, it has that basic energy of it, of two realities going on at the same time. Because as it says in the Sikha, that the punishment itself are between us an expression of Hashem's love. So, what does that mean? 
in Hashem's world there's no true punishment? He doesn't hate us? When he's destroying the base of Mizrashi, that doesn't mean he hates us? Feels like it. No. He probably doesn't know how to hate us. Hasn't figured it out yet and it'll be too late. Mashiach is going to be fully revealed any second and he'll never have figured it out and we're all good. So between this a fast day, a punishment, is really an expression of Hashem's love. As it says in, and it was revealed, uh, if we look in footnote 23, it was revealed at the time of the Chorban. As Chazal say, we see it in Medrash Telem, on Nizmar Ayin Tess, the Shafach HaKadosh Baruch HaMasa Al-Eitim, Even at the time of the destruction of the Beis HaMizish, Hashem poured his anger on the wood and the stones. He couldn't, I guess, he, I guess, he couldn't get, bring himself to pour his anger on us. After all, we're his one and only child. So he, he, he dispersed all his anger on the wood, on the walls, and the stones, the physical structure of the base of Middash. And even so, even within that, really, he arranged the, all the parts, all the kalim of the base of Migdash should be concealed underground first. So that the base of Migdash is really fully there. It's just in concealed places. So the walls. He got rid of the walls. Whatever the walls are all, all about. And we could say, according to the sheet of the Yerushalmi, that that the the city of Jerusalem was breached and the walls were breached. That we said the other day that those big battering rams, these trunks of trees that the enemies were banging away, used to bang away at the walls for days and weeks until they finally cracked the wall. Um There's a whole opinion about what this really was. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Herif Af Mitnei Taikov Chasta Herif Af Mitnei Taikov Chasta Ad Yudzayim Tamus Shalom Nifka Ir Ulai Yafir B'Tshuva Hashem kept Hashem kept Oh On the 10th of the month It actually says in the in Chumash On the 10th of the month It's referring to Or in Gemara Referring to the 10th of the month so why is it the 17th of the month? Hashem kept delaying it and delaying it so that maybe we should pull ourselves together because he didn't want to do this to us. He really didn't want to punish us. He wants to, his ultimate desire is he wants to be not only close, one entity with us in, in a way that we feel and he feels it. So he doesn't really want to punish us. He just wants to get us closer to him. And so eventually, though, um, Gavriel came along and I guess started up or mixed up the poles or got them, um, not sure. Malach Gavriel kind of got everything going. Then the fire eventually happened and we moved on to the next phase of the basin music being dispersed in the entire world until it came to base of Danish and from there. We're going to focus it all back to Yerushalayim. 
soaked. But essentially what we're saying is about punishment. Can God punish us? I always like to make these domain names. Can God really punish us? .com. I bet nobody bought it. But the problem is every time I think of a new domain name, I can't hold myself back and I go and buy it and I have so many domain names, but I would love to. Can God really punish us? God.com. So <laughs> I don't think I'm going to buy it. We're talking about, the question is, can God really punish us? It seems not. It's too much for him. He loves us too much to punish us. Sure, looks like he does. Then what do you call the Holocaust? What do you call the Crusades? What do you call the pogroms? What do you call the blood libels? What do you call all of, all of those things? If we're understanding here, God has too hard a time. Hashem has too hard a time. He loves us. He doesn't really want to punish us. He's just trying to get close. He does a good job of faking his punishment. But it's like a king, a very great king, a very awesome king, that goes himself to wash the filth off his one and only son because he loves him so much. So, again, maybe the the skin of the son is in pain once he's being washed off because he's so encrusted. But it's really from deep love. Now, I would say, go to somebody that's in the midst of, God forbid, Rahman Hussan, a great suffering, or as we went through, crusades, pogroms, holocaust, God forbid, all of that stuff, Rahman Hussan. A normal person would feel that this doesn't feel like love. It's interesting how we as Yidin, as much as it didn't feel like love, on some level, even the Tanias, our Nisham has felt it. The fact that people would go, Al Kiddush Hashem, saying Shema Yisrael. Shema Yisrael is declaring love. Declaring our ultimate loyalty to Hashem. How could a person do it through the ultimate horrific Yisurim, punishment? So it looks like the same I can't really hate you, but Hashem feels. That's the way we feel about Hashem. And as people have discovered when they interviewed lots of youth who were struggling with their Yiddishkeit and really doing very um, supposedly un-Jewish things, 90% of it, 90% of the time, is from great love for Hashem. I was angry at Hashem. Rabbi Jacobson once said, I spoke to this young man and I said, How, why, did you, why did you do what you did? He said, what do you mean? I said, it's a terrible trauma. But after it happened, I asked, I, I asked myself, I decided I would either hate Hashem for allowing or making that happen or else I would disconnect myself from Hashem completely. Because I was very young and very vulnerable and very connected to Hashem, and then he did this, I decided I'm either going to hate him or I'm going to disconnect from him totally. And I tried hating him. I couldn't do it. I love him with all my heart. Couldn't do it. So my only choice was to disconnect him. So if you see me not doing mitzvahs today and very 
very openly with a very with a lot of pomp and and pomp and flavor showing how I go out of my way not to do mitzvahs, that's because I'm trying to make a statement to God. I'm angry. Why did you do this to me? I can't stop loving you, but I can give you give it to you in the you know, give it to you between the eyes and say, I don't want to have anything to do with you. But don't ask me to stop loving you. So we see in the people who supposedly, according to classical ways, have gone lower than low. If you said, We would like to have that. We would love to have that connection to Hashem. What kind, you know, you know when, when I have a son who many years ago was um, in the army in Eretz Yisrael, and when he, okay, now he's here, married, children, can her? And when they were, he was training, he was trying out for special forces. I think all the American boys try to try out for special forces. And as he was running along, and other people were running along, you know, they would stop you and say, give up now, we'll take you to an air-conditioned room, freezing cold drinks, you name it, whatever you want, stop now, give it, they wanted to get you to drop out of the race. So my son had a very determined look on his face. He wasn't going to give up. So they asked one of the other soldiers, what should the face of a soldier who is in special forces in the middle of combat look like? So he turned to to my son. He said, his face should look like that guy's face. So that's it. What we look at, what should the... What should the face, what should the soul of a Jew look like? Maybe we could say today, we have hundreds of thousands, I guess, Rahman of youth wandering around openly not keeping mitzvahs, openly, especially in public, going out of their way to not keep mitzvahs. There's room to say, I would like my soul to look like theirs. Because it's on fire with love to Hashem. Their animal soul, their nefesh of Bahamas, is going through excruciating torture and confusion. But their soul is so clean and so pure. They tried to stop loving Hashem and they couldn't. So they just openly love Hashem and then they tell them off. They say, you and your mitzvahs go fly a kite. I'm going to go in the convertible with my girlfriend eating cheeseburgers on Shabbos and drive to the Jewish neighborhood. Hmm. And I'm going to show you how angry I am. You know, like, like a little kid who says, you're the worst mommy in the whole world. I'm going to run away. You know, you take your little suitcase. You're four years old. I'm running away. I'm never coming back. That's a little bit what it's like. So there's a shining soul there in the midst of all the punishments and the confusion. So... This is this is connected to the whole idea of the seventeenth of Thomas. It's this dual reality. It's like the Alphaderich kid. What's Shabbat? Oh, hello! I just became religious. Can you tell me what the seventeenth of Thomas is? Yeah, it's like an Alphaderich kid in in time rather than space. <laughs> so this is hinted at in the Kriyas. Um, 
that was brought from Gedalia Pastisral, the Tishabav, just like the 17th of Tammuz. Tishabav, the 17th of Tammuz is the beginning of the Chorban, and the end of the Chorban is Tishabav. Tishabav always starts in the same day as Pesach. Pesach is a time of freedom. It starts on whatever day it starts. It's, it's, it's freedom. What else is freedom? The 17th of Tammuz and, and Tishabav. It's all about freedom. Freedom from all the external stuff that tries to fool us. And other others. In this din, the penimus of love of Hashem is, is in there, packed in there. And the truth is, when Hashem wants to reveal the penimus of his love, the inner content of his love, what should he do? Be nice or not so nice? Unfortunately, we feel the depth of the penimus of his love for us when he's giving us a hard time. God forbid. Which is interesting. When he's giving us, it's just, it's, we feel it much more. Otherwise, you know, how was your day? Yeah, okay, DH, good. Yeah, what do you do? You know, I don't know, got up, stuff, this, that, nothing special. I remember when I used to, I used to go to Shoal 40 years ago in Young Israel, my first fledgling, you know, and meet my friends and say, so how was the week? Then, you know, nothing special. And me, you know, oh, my goodness, heaven and earth. <laughs> So when Hashem is just, you know, nothing special, so I said a shahakal, I drank something, and then later on I had a sandwich, I made a mighty, you know, it's bad, it doesn't mean so, you know, la-di-da, or the other stuff, which is very concentrated. We feel Hashem, we feel Hashem, or something, much more. The only thing is, the time has come for the negative stuff, to, the time has come for us to experience Hashem as deeply and even more deeply in the positive rather than the negative. Which means two things. Hashem needs to let go of his addiction to the, the, to the negative, and so do we. Generations and generations of suffering. What do they say? What did Abba even say? You don't grow beautiful on a diet of ugliness. Truth is, you do. But there's you do grow beautiful on a diet of ugliness. But, turns out there's a more upgraded way. Now with our new app, ladies, don't think that you can only grow beautiful on a diet of ugliness. This is the way it always was. Well, with my app, which is only $49.95, you can get it at the app store, you can grow beautiful on a diet of beauty alone, and you no longer will have to have anything negative in your life. Just purchase my app I'll just press on the button below and you can download this app on, at the App Store to make you become beautiful through only beautiful circumstances. And that's your Maisa Mashiach for free. You don't even have to pay forty nine ninety five. So, um, I'm trying to read the words. Be an av. Right, so we're talking about a father that is punishing um a son, really cleaning the son. And so the power of the father and how much he's punishing depends on how much 
the power of his love. Okay? So what we're saying is, it's an inverse thing. You can tell when there's power there, well, you know, okay, you don't have to punish so much. No, no, I love him so much. So Hasidus explains that in the future, Tisha B'Av will become the greatest yantar. Well, there you go. The power of how great the punishment seems, and that's Tisha B'Av. Again, not the day of Tisha B'Av. Then it was. The fact that out of one little day could come so much horrific suffering since the destruction of the base in English. The, again, I, don't, I probably shouldn't re- re- repeat it. The crusades, the pogroms, the, the, the blood libels, the, the baits with the church, the stuff. Half of it I don't even know. All of that came out of one little day called Tishabov. And the day itself is a day of a dual reality. It's a day when Mashiach was, Mashiach, the base of Mishish was destroyed. And a minute later, Mashiach was born. Is this a good day or a bad day? I'm so confused. You have to be Jewish to not get too confused. Because if you're Jewish, you always live in two realities. It makes perfect sense. Probably if you're not Jewish, it seems a little strange. I remember many years ago, working in a computer store, first months I was becoming from, and and I don't know, in my spare time I was typing things for a, a book, a safer that somebody was translating, and one of the workers there said, I make a policy of never mixing life with religion. And I said, let me tell you something, if a person is Jewish, that's all they do. They mix everything with their so, so-called religion. We live in two realities. If you're Jewish, of course you live in two realities. What? I didn't know. Is there, I mean, is there another way to live? When you're in love, the whole world, when you're in love, the whole world is Jewish. So it's true that soon we'll have the third base in English, and then there won't be any negativity. So we could say, ah, Mashiach will be fully revealed, and we won't be fasting anymore, and we won't be sad. And we'll say goodbye, good riddance. It was so good that we don't have to be so good that we no longer have to be sad because now things got better. That makes sense. Let's celebrate. You want to tell me now from my vantage point that there will come a time when I'll no longer be fasting or sad on Tishabov. Okay. I, I can understand that. Yeah. I. Whatever it is, the girl who's looking for a shidduch for a very, very long time, and then, you know, whatever it is, you see her with a double stroller, and she forgets, okay, those memories, gone. I don't have to think about them. So the memory of Tishabov, this destruction of the Middash, Gullus, okay, goodbye, good reading. No, 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 no. We don't throw things away. We're Jewish. Why should you throw it away? We transform. Turn it inside out, like a ski jacket. Turn it inside out. Because the penis of Tishabav is the penis, what is it really? Love above. That Hashem, that's for us. And we for Him. But as long as that anger above is there and through the gullet, the penis of the love is concealed, so we're still fasting. But 
But in the future, everything will be different. The penis of love that's there, it's just going to come out. The covering, the jacket will fall off. A nice hot summer day. Pure, you know, open revelation. The jacket will fall off, and you're going to see pure love. And everything will be transformed. And that we have the ability to do right now. So we can say that the reason that all the generations, we all we had was the negative of the fast. We did have to fast. We still have to fast. And we were focusing on how awful it was. Hashem is angry. We're not good enough. And in many Jewish circles, that's still the hashkafa. We're not good enough. We, we spoke too much flesh and heart. We did this. We did that. Why did we have quarantine? Why do we have the chaos in the streets? We're bad. We're bad. We're bad. We're bad. We're bad. And it's true on some level. But that was always classically sort of the only reality. The fact that Hashem loves us in truth, it was a very quiet voice. We don't, haven't done enough. We've been very bad. We need to do tshuva. And then, a little tiny, a little teeny tiny whisper. The tzaddikim, for the tzaddikim was a very loud message. For the nekubalim, the tzaddikim, they knew Hashem really loved us, but even they had to keep it a secret on some level. The, the power, not only that Hashem loves us, when they're looking at a fast day, they, they, they kind of had to muffle themselves. They said, okay, we need to improve our, our, our ways because we're just not good enough. And yet they knew that there's a power of love and ge'ula in, in Tammuz and in fast days that's called ongetan deslapshus, enclosed in dafka, the severity. They knew that, but they could only say it to us in very, very veiled, concealed ways. Focus had to be on, fix yourself up, there's punishment, it's not okay, you're not okay, get it together, pull yourself together, do what you need to do to be the kind of person that Hashem wants to redeem. Okay. But then, first of all, starting with um, Lagba Eimer, and that really devolves on what we went through. You know, we had a Lagba Eimer right in the middle of our weeks of quarantine, right in the middle of those holy 11 weeks, holy and also very difficult 11 weeks. And when we had the loss of life, God forbid, unspeakably difficult. Right in the center of this, you had a day of truth. that was right inserted, exactly nine weeks, nine weeks to the dot, there's, there's blood binder, a day of truth, just boom became the jewel in the center of these 11 weeks. Two more weeks, we had Matan Titus. For 1,300 years, after Lagba Eimer, which is a day of the revelation of Hashem's love for us, 1,300 years, this knowledge went underground. And then, maybe even longer, for 1,500 years, 1,300 years till the Zahar was supposedly discovered, deep in the earth, somewhere in the Middle East, and then another couple of hundred years until the Yariza was told, Mitzvah Legalis is Chachma It's a Mitzvah to reveal this Chachma. And the Yariza began, because he was told by Hashem, to tell us, hey guys, 
He probably never said, hey, guys. Hey, guys, you know the truth? And we were in such great suffering. I guess some wanted to know the truth and some were just too beaten down to even care. That was certainly the situation when the Baal Shem Tov came along. Want to know the truth? Okay, what's the truth? Hashem loves you. Sure doesn't feel like you love this. I know. Keep on going. And then, as we say, from the Arizo, then we have the Baal Shem, and then we have the Baal Shem Tov. And the Baal Shem Tov came exactly, was born exactly 50, 50 years after Gzeva's Tachpatat, most horrific um, pogroms uh, from the Cossacks over a period of two years. Unspeakable. People were completely without hope until 50 years later. And in the middle of it, they had shot by sea. And when that didn't work out, but 50 years later, people are really feeling low. Even they're feeling very low. The year 1598. And the Baal comes along and begins to revive everyone. By telling us what's the secret. What's the secret? Hashem loves you with such a, with such an intensity you can't even imagine. So the time had come for us to taste the truth. To taste the inner truth about the fast day. To taste, to taste the secret of this dual reality. The secret, the, the, the secret of Judaism. Two things are happening at the same time. He loves us. He acts like he doesn't love us. That means Hashem. But as we started to taste this dual reality, it's like moving the pots around on the burners. What was on the back burner goes on to the front burner. What was on the front burner goes on to the back. What was on the back burner all those centuries was Hashem loves us. Nice, but it's so quiet. It's a quiet little pot simmering on the back burner. Who notices it? It started to be moved to the front burner. And the idea of Hashem is angry at us moved to the back burner. And every generation since then, since the Baal Shem Tov, it's moved to the back burner and, and noticed more and become, becomes truer and stronger every single year. And we're at the point now where it becomes truer and stronger every single day, probably every single hour. How do you know? If you follow technology and you see how exponentially quickly it is changing, and you understand that there's power in that, it's a billions of a billions of a billions of a taste. That power, the billions of billions of billions of a taste of how quickly the reality is changing from Hashem is angry at us and we aren't good enough to Hashem loves us and we're plenty good. And he wants nothing more than to just be completely one with us and have us want nothing more than that also. And so, to make the switch from back burner to front burner. Hashem loved us was on the back burner. To make the switch. Who's going to come along and move the pot around? Back burner to front burner, front burner to back burner. Hashem's going to do it himself. How does he do it? First of all, when's he going to do it? When's he going to do it? Hmm, month of commas would be perfect. That's the month that has the enigma, the dual reality. Okay? 
How's he going to do it? He'll make a ge'ula even before the gullus. The gullus is Shabbat of the Thomas, 17th of Thomas. So Hashem says, good, I'm going to make a ge'ula even before. On Yud Beis Yud Gimel Thomas. And therefore, we're going to have a different kind of thing. We've always had a ge'ula that preceded, that, that followed the gullus. We had Tishabah. And we've always had Shabbos Nachman right away. As soon as the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, right away Hashem said, Nachman, Nachman, Amin. First he punished us, and then he brought us close. First we had a Gullah, and then a Geula. But the idea, first we have a Geula, and then a Gullah? That's a game changer. That's totally different. That means the real reality becomes Geula now. And the gullus is something that's something that's starting to dry up. It's losing its luster. Not as sparkly as it used to be, you know, like, wow, gullus, that's our reality. It's losing its sparkle because it was, you know, it's like standing line in line in the supermarket, you know, <laughs> or whatever it is. Somebody, a comedian is on stage and they have a comedian and they're pretty funny. And then somebody jumps in front of them and starts telling even better jokes, and everybody notices them. They're even funnier. They take they take the stage. Yudbeis Thomas, the ghoul of Yudbeis Thomas, took the stage before it jumped in the line in front of Shabbat Thomas, and it took the front stage, it took the front place, it became the most sparkly thing about the month of about the month of Thomas. So sparkly. But the name of Tammuz, the month of Tammuz, started to be called Chaydesha Geula. Because Yudbeis Yudgimel Tammuz, the Chazer Geula, for every single Yid and even for the whole world, Yudbeis Tammuz, Chazer Geula, took the front stage, took first place, standing, standing in front of every, standing in front of the Gullah. You know, what was it that, um, when Yaakov Inu and his family were traveling back to Eretz Yisrael, um, was it that I think Yaakov Avinu saw Esau coming and he thought, I think I'd better hide my wives. He doesn't look like such a uh, savory kind of a guy, my brother. He's, uh, you know, he hasn't been immersing himself in such moral things all his life. So I'm going to stand, so... Yaakovim stood up to his full height and he concealed his wife behind him. You know, he didn't have an app on his phone that could hide them and all that other stuff. So he stood up to his full height, made himself, you know, broad shoulders, full height, and he just hid them. What did you see? What did Asa see? As he's seeing that family, he's not seeing the wives. He's seeing Yaakovim, this big guy standing there. You know, notice me. Don't look at them. That's your base, your Gimel Thomas. That's your base, Thomas. Notice me. Don't look at Shabbat Shabbat Thomas. That's old stuff. Hey, you, the fast day, you've been in line, you've been standing in line. Chazer Gullah. You've been standing in line already. You've had first place for a long time. It's my turn now. And the interesting thing is that in the Geula, two extremes are also brought out. There are two extremes about Gullah. Because in Gullus, there is a Gvura part. There's a dark part. Rahman Islam. 
The dark part is for the reason of Yisra'na'ur, the more intense light that comes from darkness. Dafka from darkness. So that's why there's always a dark part in Galus, unfortunately. And then, we see that the darkness and the Gvura um, is really chesed. Is the Gvura the real, real thing about about a fast day and about the Gullus? No. The real thing is the chesed. You need the dark part. We need it then. We don't need it anymore. You needed the that will that will understand by learning Parshas Bala. You needed the dark part because you because there's an advantage. There's a special light that's concealed in darkness. Well, thank you very much. Today, what we say, Hashem, how about if we're yaisi with the dark part of I put my hand in my pocket, I wanted a dollar bill, and instead I got or I wanted a five dollar bill, instead I got a dollar bill, or I put my hand in my pocket. I wanted a, a dime and I got a nickel. Could that be the darkness? And these days, Hashem says, I think, as we've learned, okay, fine, yeah, let's do it that way. And then we're done. The disappointment of I wanted a dime and I found a nickel. Good, good, we got rid of the dark part. That's, and really we want to reach out to Hashem and say, you, you want advantage, the advantage of dark parts, so let's do it like that. Or, you know, I went to the store to buy sliced cheese, and all they had was the brick cheese. Okay, am I done with the darkness? And Hashem says, yeah, yeah, that's good. And say, okay, fine, I'll get a cheese slicer. I'm happy. I'm good. Let's do it on the cheese. Good enough. And now could I have only light in my life? You know, I was disappointed. You have sliced cheese as a source. And it seems like Hashem said, if, you, if you're ready for that, I'm ready for that. So it turns out that in the light, the penis, the deep, the, in the depth of, of all of this is the power of chesed, and there is an advantage of light. And from one side, we see that in this case, the, 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 the Rebbe, the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, that went through horrific suffering and horrific punishment by being taken into jail in a very awful way to the extent of having a psaced in that he would not be left alive, God forbid. That was the dark part. On the other hand, we see in the Geula of Yudbeis Tamos, not only in the freeing from, not only in being freed, but the whole process, the whole process of all of the details from the 15th of Sivan on when he was taken into prison because what he's teaching Tyra and telling everybody else to teach Tyra, and spearheading the whole, the, the eternity of Tyra learning in Russia, and therefore he was taken into prison. All of the details that happened in Tmenius were not even, God forbid, not even Chas uh, a limitation, but the opposite. It wasn't Hashem's chesed was restricted. It was Hashem screaming out chesed in such a powerful way that it looked like the world was not a vessel to express so much chesed of Hashem. So it came out to be, it came out looking like Gvura. Which from this we understand that there's an enormous um, mission today, a shlichus today, in learning new ways of expressing 
light and the opposite of light. Because Hashem is saying, if you make vessels in the world for this whole new way of expressing it, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to, I'm ready to show you open vessels. Just make me some vessels, you know, put up. I have a lot of wine here. I have a lot of oil and I have a lot of wine. I'm ready to pour. Just get, get yourself a bunch of bowls, a bunch of bottles and cups and all of that. I'm ready to pour. But just get me the vessel. So, um, and how do we see it? How do we see that it was the ultimate chesed? All of this suffering that came out to the, not only the ge'ul itself coming out of prison, coming out of this limitation, it wasn't only the ge'ul was a chesed. All of the things before the ge'ul were a chesed. It led to the expansion of spreading of Tyra in a completely, infinitely higher way to the extent that it wasn't just a few Jews living, learning Tyra in Russia when they weren't allowed to, which is amazing. It was all Jews all over the world learning Tyra all over the world, even the ones that never sat in prison. And specifically, because you no longer have to sit in prison to learn Tyra. You only have to come out of your own imprisonment to learn Tyra. And, and things from that moment of Chaz Ge'ula, the entire world, every Jew and every non-Jew, became redeemed. And all of Tyra became redeemed. And in the Lushan of America, you ain't seen nothing yet. Not yet. Just whatever we've experienced in terms of the expansion of Tyra, it was held tight, not allowed, for those communist years and then boom all the walls are taken off and it just expands and expands and expands and permeates everything like oil it just gets into everything and that's what Hashem wants or as in the words of Razal that the Rebbe Rashad said um, he said about the imprisonment of the altar Rebbe that when you take this olive and you crush it, then this crushing of the olive, which gives you the olive oil, this crushing of the Jew, which gives you the true essence of the Jew, it's a shlav. It's a, a part of a step in the Seder of taking out. The crushing is part of the whole process of, of the oil coming out. The essence, the truth coming out in the world is not only coming as a result of the crushing, God forbid, but the crushing itself is already creating truth. And the Guru of Yud Beit Thomas transformed one of the uh, Gullus days itself. From before Yud Beit Thomas, it transformed, we're talking about transforming the 17th of Thomas. Yud Beit Thomas is the day that comes along and transforms the 17th of Thomas. Seventeenth of the Thomas is always a dual reality. But more and more and more, every day, every week, every month, every minute, the the Gaula part of and the joy part of the seventeenth of Thomas gets louder and the punishment part gets quieter. And we want to we want to make our lives about that. It was um uh, so essentially, on the day of your day's Thomas becomes the, the tool through which the 17th of Thomas in the future will be completely a yantus, 
how will we become Yantras? We always wondered. There's a tool. There's a potion. There's a secret potion. There's a lock, an, a, a, a key in Yudbei Tamil that unlocks the truth about the 17th of Tamil. What's the joke? Why can't you keep Jews in jail? Because they eat locks. There's a key in Yudbei Tamil that unlocks the deep secret of the 17th of Tamil, that it will become and even is ready to become a day of Sassan de Simcha because we yeah. have the base of Yudbei so, um, and Gimel Tamos, when the Rebbe was re- released from jail and he was sent for three years into Gullah, then it seems like another part of this imprisonment. And he was sent off to a Gullah. And that itself seemed like the darkness had just increased. And it was, in a way, the worst part of all of those days, from the 15th of Sivan until your day, Tamos, Gimel Tamos was the worst, because, oh boy, now... Sent off to Gullah, no government pressure, nobody can, nobody can get involved, etc. No one knows what will happen. Within a very short time, it all turned around. We knew. We didn't know. Nobody knew at the day of Gimel Thomas in 1927, whether this was better or worse. But in the end, when the Gullah of Yudbeis Thomas came along, then we realized that the beginning of it was, Gal- was Gimel Hamas. And so, what we understand is, that we live now, to sum it all up, we live now in a time when we understand that anything that we see that's negative, we will come to a, a point where we look back and say, that was not the beginning of the darkness. It felt like it then. That was actually the beginning of the light. Because when they looked back on Yudbei Sam, at the time of Yudbei Sam, they said, this is unbelievable. The Rebbe was supposed to be in imprisonment for, for three years, and after ten days he was released. That is a large miracle. That is a huge miracle. And it's a miracle for all of the entire world and all of the generations. When did this begin? On the worst day. On the day when the darkness, on Gimel Thomas, when it seemed that the darkness had totally, had increased to the fullest. The darkest day ended up being the beginning of all the light and all the miracles. So from that we can conclude that if we can find a way, when we fall into a not pleasant experience, God forbid, and it feels very dense and we don't know how to get out of it, and we all know what that feels like, that if we could find a way to picture what this is going to turn into, we know by, by definition it's going to turn into joy and celebration and the biggest gaula, because that's what dark days have been created to do now. They're beginnings of joy and celebration. If somehow we can picture in the moment of struggle the joy and celebration that's going to happen in the future from this day, not, because, not in spite of this day, from this day, if we can picture those two realities at the same time, here's the struggle, and then we're all playing music and we're singing and dancing, and there's ula and celebration, then, then we can start to transform the, the challenges right here, right now, and through that somehow make vessels that challenge can become ultimately a thing of the past, and we can find ourselves in only good and only celebration and only gaula and find ourselves in the base of the right now.
sorry, to sum up that today we understand, and probably there are scientific studies that explain it, that today darkness, God forbid, is really well, darkness is really concentrated light. You can look it up on all, you can Google it, you can look it up on all the studies. Darkness is really such concentrated light that your eyes can't see it. But now it's understood that there is no such thing as real darkness. There's just dispersed light and there's concentrated light. There are only two realities. There's nothing but light, but you can have it in a more spread out form and it looks good. It looks like light. And then you can have it in a very, very slightly concentrated form and it's kind of starting to look dark. And then you can have it in an incredibly concentrated, concentrated form and it's, and it's, and it's looking, and it's, and it's looking very, very, um, very, very dark. So, but it's true, in truth, concentrated light. So we want to step into a reality where we see that it's all concentrated light and we no longer have to work at it, but we experience full immediately now. Amen.